You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to John chapter 13. We're back into our series in the Gospel of John, but before we dive into uh, this passage, I want to just uh, tell, first of all, thank you to you all as a faith family. Two weeks ago, we had our Invite Your One Sunday, and it was just awesome to see how just how great our church did inviting someone. I mean, I think Helen Narstadt packed three or four pews just all on her own. And so, uh, Helen, thank you for your work. But everyone, thank you for your work for Invite Your One. A healthy church is an inviting church. A church is that is that is inviting. Church growth depends on its members. We have to be inviting to introduce people to the Savior. So I know some of you, may, maybe you were disappointed two weeks ago because someone that you invited didn't come. Well, don't let that discourage you. Keep working on them. Because you know what? Invite your one Sunday Every Sunday is Invite Your One Sunday. So keep building those relationships. Keep inviting, and I know God will bless that. And I also want to just say thank you to Pastor Jason for sharing last week out of the Gospel of John. Uh, Marilyn and I had a great time in California. We had never been to California before, so I know it's a whole different world out there, as they say. Um, and but we really enjoyed it. In fact, you know, we're talking about we need to start a, a campus of our church at Laguna Beach, California. And so, uh, if God leads you into uh, being one of our missionary families to go out to California, we can't help you with the cost of living, but we'd like to uh, start a campus out there. I'm I'm just kidding. Uh, maybe I'll go out there myself. I'm, no, I'm just kidding about that too. Uh, but we had a great time in, in California. Just a great time together. We had been working on a few months on that, trying to get there, but trying to line up our parents' schedules. We both come from big families, so our, fam- our parents are really, really uh, busy, and so we were able to um, get them to watch our kids um, for us. So we had a great time. So thank you, Faith Family, for allowing us to do that. We're here in John chapter 13, and we're really on the home stretch of the Gospel of John. We're going to be here in John chapter 13. Where it's kind of a more of a a narrative. But when we get into John chapter 14, the tone is going to change for a few chapters because Jesus is going to begin instructing his disciples on what's going to happen next. And so we're going to see more like in-depth teaching from Jesus. But the next two weeks uh, here in John chapter 13 is a little bit more narrative, more story. And so we're going to be walking through this chapter in the next two weeks, and they build off of each other. Because we're going to see this week first that, you know, salvation, why we need Jesus. And then next week, we're going to find out, okay, what are the implications of knowing Jesus? How does that live out in everyday life as Jesus unpacks this for his disciples and unpacks it for us? But we've been seeing way back in John chapter 11... When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus made the statement, I am the resurrection and the life, saying in him a person can be resurrected from their sin and receive brand new spiritual life. Well, when Jesus makes that statement, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, 
And someone who witnessed the resurrection went back and told the Pharisees. You remember when we went through that passage together? Someone went and ratted out Jesus to the Pharisees. And they go back to Jesus, and the Pharisees are now having to come apart. Because they were afraid now everyone would believe in Jesus. The religious leaders of the day, they, they were afraid that the Roman Empire would step in. Because at this point in time, Israel did not have political freedom. They were under the Roman Empire, under Roman rule. Well, the Romans did allow them to have uh, religious freedom, as long as the, that religious freedom did not lead to any kind of threat to the empire. Well, at this point, the Pharisees are concerned because Jesus started back in John chapter 2 and in turning water into wine, okay? Now, that's unusual. You don't see that very often at weddings. But what happens often but what happened was in John chapter uh, 2 it started out innocent enough Jesus turning the water into wine and Jesus healing people now Jesus has upped the ante of his signs and his miracles to the point to where he is now uh, to him now he's raising the dead so there's a big difference between going from raising someone from the dead and turning water into wine. And so the Pharisees are concerned about this. They're concerned that the Roman Empire is going to find out and that the Roman Empire is going to step in and say, no more. Your religious freedom is gone. Well, then we saw a few weeks ago the Passover came. It was the greatest of the Jewish feasts. And so the Pharisees developed a plan that if Jesus came to Jerusalem for the Passover, and they knew he would, that when Jesus came to the Passover, they would arrest and kill him. So that leads us into what we call the Passion or Holy Week, where Jesus came to Jerusalem to die. And so leading up to John chapter 13, on Sunday of that week, he came to Jerusalem. Remember this? He went, it wasn't an ordinary entry. Jerusalem was packed full of people for Jerusalem. Some scholars say that there were Oh, almost 3 million people in Jerusalem at this point in time. Well, they heard this, and the disciples found uh, a young donkey, and Jesus comes in on the donkey, and people are taking palm trees, or palm branches off of palm trees, waving them, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Thousands of people are shouting this, which means give salvation now. But when they're shouting salvation, some people were, were talking spiritual salvation, but a majority of the people were not thinking of spiritual salvation, but political. They thought Jesus was coming to come overthrow the Roman Empire. But we have to remember that God's redemptive plan did not include political freedom. God's redemptive plan that he put in motion all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned, God's redemptive plan was not a plan of political freedom, but spiritual freedom. Freedom from being hostages to our sin. And so the Pharisees see these thousands of people that go out to see Jesus, and they are distraught. They said to one another, the whole world has gone out after him. They've gone out to see him. They're like, we're losing control. Well, that night, Jesus spent the night in Bethany, the same town Lazarus was raised. Well, then Monday, Jesus returned to Jerusalem. He goes to the temple to worship. He sees the money changers ripping people off in the exchange of money. He, he turns over their tables and drove them out of the temple. So don't ever think of Jesus as this passive, weak man. Jesus had a temper. When Jesus went to that temple and he overthrows the money changer uh, uh, tables, Jesus, he's having a hissy fit. 
He throws the, throws the tables over. Then on Tuesday, Jesus takes his disciples out to the Mount of Olives, and then he teaches them, and that's called the Olivet Discourse. Wednesday of that week, Jesus rested, and uh, many scholars believe he spent a good deal of his time in prayer. And that brings us to Thursday, where Jesus and his disciples, the scene is this here in John 13, Jesus and his disciples are gathered in an upper room, and he's going to do something. It's going to seem a little bit strange maybe to us. He's going to start washing their feet. And as Jesus washes their feet, it's an object lesson. Jesus was a brilliant teacher. So Jesus is going to use this cultural norm of washing the disciples' feet to teach them two things. We're going to see the first principle today, and then next week we'll see the second. So he's going to teach them that all today, we're going to see he teaches them that all people are in need of spiritual cleansing. So look here in John chapter 13. It says this, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, I just want us to stop. We're going to read this whole passage. I just want us to stop here in John chapter 1, because again, as we're talking about this redemptive plan that God had put into motion since the beginning of the world, the motivation was love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So let's keep going, verse 2. Now it was time for supper. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing. He took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? So imagine this, okay, they're in this upper room. They're there reclining at a table, which means they would have been reclining with an elbow, probably on a pillow, with their feet away from the table. Now, why would they have their feet away from the table? hygiene reasons. Just like we would have our kids wash their hands before eating, they would have their feet away from the table, okay? No one wants dirty feet, especially in that time period around your food. So they're reclining there. Well, then Jesus, it says he takes a towel, takes off his outer clothing. He takes a towel and he ties it around himself, almost like a really long belt, okay? We're not talking like a little hand towel that Jesus could tie around his waist. We're talking about a towel that probably draped to the floor. And Jesus goes around to the disciples, and he takes on, this is an apparel of a slave or a servant. See, during this time period, they did not have paved roads like we have today. They didn't have tennis shoes made by Nike and Under Armour that we have today. They wore sandals. And don't think of like the flip-flops and the sandals that we have today. It was literally just about a piece of leather that was held together on a strap on the bottom of their feet. I mean, it was not fancy. And so on these roads, you had the dust, the dirt, the rocks, animals, 
who were making deposits in the street. You had all of this going on in this culture, and so you would come into someone's house with dirty feet, and they would take off their shoes to not bring all that nastiness into the house. And so it was the the job of a servant or a slave to then wash the feet of the guest. This was low on the totem pole job. This was not the job you wanted. I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show Dirty Jobs. Anyone else like to like that, uh, watch that show, Dirty Jobs? On, I saw one episode on Dirty Jobs where they hung out with a guy. That his jobs job was to go around to different parks in the city. I don't remember which city it was. To go around and to empty out and to clean out the Johnny's on the spots in the park. Okay, not my ideal of not, not my idea of a dream job. Okay, it's probably not a fun job, low job to wash people's feet. So here's Jesus, the Messiah, the creator of heaven and earth. Now he's taking on the appearance, the clothing of a slave. He goes around to his disciples and starts washing their feet. And then we come to Peter. And don't you love Peter? I mean, this dude has a tendency, he's just a loudmouth. He just says whatever comes to their, his mind. There is no filter between his brain and his mouth. What he's thinking, he's saying. And so Peter sees Jesus doing this, his Messiah, his hero. He sees this. He says, no way. You are not going to wash my feet. I'm not going to have this. No way. This is too embarrassing. This is too uncomfortable. I am not going to allow you to do this. Let's see what happens. Go to verse 7. Jesus answered him, what I am doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. And so Jesus tells Peter, he says, you don't realize now what I'm trying to do. You're not understanding this, but when I'm done, you are going to understand And what does Peter keep doing? He just keeps arguing with them. He just won't won't let this go. Peter is a stubborn guy. I mean, he is not letting this go. And he says, you will never wash my feet. And when we read this, we think the audacity of Peter to say that to Jesus. But we have to remember, I think if you and I were in Peter's shoes, we probably would say the same thing, right? Right? We live in a culture where if we allow people to help us, we feel like it's a, a sign of weakness or something. And Peter is saying, no, you will never wash my feet. I will never allow you to do this. But what's Jesus' response? He said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Peter responds, then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off in Peter's head because he says, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. What's he saying? Give me a shower. 
take your bowl of water and give me a salvi splash. Dump the water all over me. If you don't know what that reference is to, you need to watch more baseball. Uh, He says, dump this. Give me a shower. I need complete cleansing. So what happened to Peter here? Because for one second, he's saying, you'll never wash my feet. Now he's saying, not just my feet, my hands, my head. I need a thorough power washing. What's, where does the understanding come in for Peter? What's going on in, in his brain? What the clue here to Peter is when Jesus says, he says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Some translations I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, but some translations say, you have no share with me. So think of it this way. If you invest in the stock market, and let's take a company, for example. Let's take Apple, okay? We all use Apple products. If you don't, sorry, you're doing it wrong. I've joined the cult of Apple products, right, Mike? Mike Pitts and I talk about this all the time. If you owned one share of the company of Apple in the stock market, you are technically part owner of that company. Now, one share, I mean, there's millions upon millions of shares of that company. So you don't have much of a stake in the company. You don't have a a lot of authority to throw around within that company. But technically, you would be a partner of Apple as they make iPhones and iPads and everything else they make. You are technically an owner of that company. You are a partner of that company. And so when Jesus says, you have no part with me or no share with me, Jesus is basically saying, we're not on the same team. There's no partnership there. There's, there's no share there. There's not, we're not partnering together. We're not co-owners together. And Jesus then, and then Peter says to Jesus, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Peter is saying, wash all of me. What's Jesus teaching here in this moment? Jesus is not just teaching about good hospitality in that culture by washing feet. He is talking, he's mentioning here, you need to be cleaned spiritually. Because he says, verse 10, one who has bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. So Jesus is saying here, he is saying, not all of you are clean. Now, who's he talking about here? If you've been in church for any period of time, who's the one he's talking about? Judas. Talking about Judas. I'm sure in that moment, I'd be willing to bet, I don't know this, this is me reading between the lines, so you can take it for whatever it's worth. But I'm willing to bet that Jesus did wash Judas' feet. Jesus washed all their feet, and he said, not all of you are clean. Well, Judas, in that moment, his feet would have been clean, so obviously Jesus is not talking about foot washing. He's talking about spiritual cleansing. And over the last few months, We have seen in the Gospel of John, John the writer of this book, he has been emphasizing the need to believe in in Jesus. 
He even says in, in John chapter 20, at the very end of his book, he said, I recorded all these things, and there's so much more I could have recorded so that you would believe in him, that he was the Son of God. We have this emphasis to need to believe in Jesus throughout the Gospel of John. And our whole intention as we've been walking through the Gospel is that we would be motivated to believe Jesus. Now, part of the belief in Jesus is not historical belief. Believing in Jesus implies I need spiritual cleansing. We talked about this two, two weeks ago when we talked about the three circles of the gospels of the gospel and the need for us to repent and believe. Yes, we must believe, as it says throughout the gospel of John, yes, we must believe in Jesus, not just in what he did, but what he said and who he said he was, but we also must repent of our sins. And it's through that repentance and then through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross that repentance and the death of Jesus, we are cleansed. We need spiritual cleaning. Because when we're born into this world, we're like those dirty, nasty feet of the disciples. Feet that you wouldn't even want by the food on the table when they're sitting there in the upper room. It's, their feet were so disgusting that it would have been offensive for someone like Jesus, a rabbi, but obviously we know him more than a rabbi, but it would have been offensive for Jesus to take on the appearance of a slave or a house servant to wash their feet. Their disgusting feet is the condition of our hearts. Our hearts are disgusting. They're gross. They're dirty. And we need them to be cleaned. But praise God, God provided us a way to be spiritually clean through the death of Jesus Christ. So it's through repentance and belief through Jesus. So we must repent of our sins and then believe in Jesus. And what belief is, is to believe he is who he says he is and did what he said he did. Jesus said he is God. He also said in John 14, we're going to see this in a couple weeks. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we're going to believe in Jesus, we must believe there's no other way for us to have a relationship with God but through Jesus. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing we can do to lose our relationship with God. It's all through Jesus Christ. And that is a freeing thought. Because the beauty of the gospel is there's nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. It's only through Jesus Christ. We don't have to work in the earned favor with God. It's only through Jesus that our sin and our guilt can be taken away. Jesus says, you can't know God without me. And see, here in America, it's fairly normal, even still today, that we are not a Christian nation. Don't believe that. We are not a Christian nation. Here in America, it's fairly normal to believe in Jesus. If, you, if we were to take a poll of 100 people in our community, I, I think we would have about at least 75% of people who say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But that belief they're probably talking about is not the same belief as what, what the Bible is talking about. It's his, that's a historical belief that Jesus is a historical figure. Believing in Jesus is not believing in him historically. Believing him is wanting him more than we want ourselves. 
wanting Jesus more than our sin, wanting Jesus more than our own way of life, wanting Jesus more than our comfort, wanting Jesus more than our way of life or lifestyle. Jesus said, back when he talked talked to the woman at the well, he told her, I am the living water. Believe in me and you'll never be thirsty again. He says that because he knows every one of us, we're trying to fill a godless void in our life with everything else with Jesus. We're broken, and we try to numb the pain with everything else and the brokenness of our lives. We try everything we can to numb the pain, but the reality is Jesus doesn't want to numb our brokenness. He wants to take it away. He wants to cleanse us of our sin. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I will give you spiritual life. I will sustain you. Everything you need to survive spiritually, it's contained in me. Jesus said again when he raised Lazarus from the dead, I am the resurrection and the life. You are dead spiritually and in need of spiritual resurrection. You are in need of spiritual regeneration. I can make you new. So faith family, as we really are on the road here, especially this summer, to bringing the gospel of John to a close, we've reached a point now of seeing since being in the gospel of John, we're not just reading stories of Jesus. This is more than his stories and what he did. This is about his claims and who he says he is. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm the only one that can cleanse you spiritually. I'm the only one. So it's getting to the point now where for every one of us, we have to ask the question of, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this? Because we can settle for intellectual belief. You and I could settle for intellectual belief. Yes, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. Yes, he's real. Yes, he died on the cross. Yes, he was resurrected. We can settle for intellectual belief. But that's a dangerous place to be. Because Judas, the one here who was not clean, and we read down in, um, further down in, the ver- in this chapter about Judas Iscariot, who was to betray him in verse 2, I believe Judas had intellectual belief in Jesus. I mean, the guy did give up three years of his life following Jesus. He had intellectual belief, but somewhere along the line, there was a disconnect between his head and his heart. There's intellectual belief. So we can settle for intellectual belief, but that's a dangerous place to go. Or we can believe in Jesus. That belief to where we make him king. To where we make him king in our lives and we give him absolute, complete control to where we turn our lives completely over to him. We follow and obey him with abandonment and receive a relationship with him, a new purpose in eternal life. I think about these disciples right here who are getting their feet washed by Jesus. These are guys, even with their their dysfunctions, even with their personality quirks with Peter and, and Thomas had a doubt issue. These guys were broken dudes. And they believed Jesus to the point where they gave up their way of living, their, their occupations for Jesus. So even with their dysfunctions and their imperfections, they still did that, but they followed and obeyed Jesus with abandon, and they made Jesus king of their life. 
And that's what it means to believe in Jesus, is to, to make him king. And so you may be here today and you've never believed in Jesus. Maybe you've intellectually believed in Jesus, but you've never believed in Jesus to where he's king in your life. He's in complete control. Today, can I encourage you to repent, receive cleansing of your sin, and to believe in Jesus. You may be, be here today and you've been a believer and follower of Jesus for a long time. Listen, and I say this from my own personal testimony, we must continue to believe Jesus. We must continue to make him king in our lives because even in my own individual lives, there are days I wake up and Adam wants to be king. I want to be in control because well, you know what? I have control issues and we all do. It's in our DNA. We're, contr we're control freaks. We have to control every area of our lives. And we're really good at saying, okay, Jesus, I'll give you this part, but I'm not going to give you this. I'll give you 75%, but I'm not giving you this last quarter. That's not belief. That's not belief. And so as we read these statements by Jesus, we have to constantly remind ourselves who we are in Jesus, our identities in Christ. That Jesus is the living water. Everything, in all, everything else in life is going to leave us thirsty. Only Jesus can quench our thirst. That Jesus truly is the bread of life. And he's the only thing that can sustain us. That Jesus truly is, I am the resurrection and the life. That he gives us life. He makes us new. So when the reality, we're all in this boat together. We are in need of belief in Jesus. Belief to the point that changes our lives. And so next week, we're going to see when we believe, and when we receive this cleansing that Jesus is talking about here in John 13, when we receive that cleansing, what does that look like? How does that play out? So we'll look at that next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us who are dirty people. We have dirt not on our feet, but on our hearts. And I thank you that you chose to come to provide spiritual cleansing. And Jesus, we all stand here together broken in need of spiritual cleansing, and I pray that you would cleanse us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So cleanse us. I pray for anyone here today that does not know you. I pray you would open their eyes to their sin and their need to repent and believe you. I pray if there's anyone here that is a believer and you need to strengthen our belief, grow us in our belief, cause us to meditate on your character, help us to find our true identity in you and to understand who you are. So we, become, we can become more like you. So we can share your love to share the gospel with people around us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Music